Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. book club where we read hood classics and good classics i'm derek um i guess before we go any further i should say you know what it's not even i guess full disclosure over the past couple days um between me recording this episode and recording the last episode one of um my friends and, and a listener of the show um was kind enough to send me a youtube link uh to a review of the coldest winter ever um by intellectual intellectual media um on youtube you should check her out she's she's really really dope um and to say the least this review was really really dope um in that it was so immersive and it it, it spoke so much on um what sister soldier was her mindset when she wrote this book and um turns out that Sister Soldier um, is a hotep. Like, I don't really know any other way to put it. Like, she's a hotep nigga. And um, she really, really, really doesn't seem to like uh, black women from the hood who... who who use their bodies to get what they want, who, who are sexually free. Um, and it, 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 it shines through this book. Now, the reason why I'm telling you that I, I, I listened to this review is because while I already had thoughts about this book and about what we were reading, um, knowing what I know now about Sister Soldier completely um, will, will completely show up uh, in the reading. Like, you can't, unsee shade like you can't unsee sunshine you know what i'm saying like this review made it clear the um things that sister soldier went through in her life and and the and it was manifested uh in her autobiography uh, in which she, no disrespect, in which, no, that's the name of the book. It's, it's not, no disrespect is the name of, you know what? Um, she had a chapter, uh, called Nikki where she talked about this girl who was, um, sexually free and, and sex positive, sex positive, um, and, uh, use her body to get what she needed and, and and wanted money and cards and jewels and all that kind of stuff and you know 
this book really does reflect that in that this girl, this lead character, Winter, is so vapid. And we've spoken on that before. Just And I thought it was childishness, you know, like she's a kid. This is what kids will look at. Like, I don't expect you to be a super mature and wise 17-year-old. Like, that's a fucking oxymoron. A 17-year-old is the type of person... When my eldest daughter was 17, in the same breath, she would say something that was absolutely just stunning about what was going on at the time, going on in society, things of that nature. Um... And then turn around and say that Nicki Minaj was a better was the greatest performer in the history of the world, and she would mean it. Like she would be absolutely serious. And this isn't, you know, a a diatribe on um, youth and 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 their choices and whatnot. It's just the youth is youth. It is. And so I was thinking that you know Winter was just a kid, but it turns out that there's real troublesome messages that are happening in this book. And we've already seen a few in which uh, Will, the the, the uh, dude that she took from her best friend, Natalie, um, it's, it's revealed that Will is a closeted bisexual. Not not really even closeted. Like he says that he likes to have dudes suck his dick because the dude's jaws are, are, are stronger. And so not even closeted, but the way she was saying it was like she just doesn't fuck with homosexuals. That's the way that she wrote Winter out to be. And the way that you write Winter out to be is quite possibly a reflection of yourself. And it turns out that Sister Soldier does have thoughts about LGBTQIA folks. So, you know, it bleeds into the book. Um, The fact that we never know her mom's name because her mom is just random woman who who fell in love with the street nigga. You know, um, the fact that all of her friends, they roll 20 deep with with razors on their tongues. Like, who the fuck does that? Like, if you were, if you, when you were 13, 14, 15 years old, used to run heavy with a pack of people and keep razor blades under your tongue before you saw Above the Rim and before you saw Tupac do it, please raise your goddamn hand. Put your goddamn hand down. You's a fucking liar. And so everything that I've read and everything that I've seen really did shade and shape this into this new thing. And I do want to thank Anissa publicly uh, for hipping me to this because once you see it, you can't unsee it. But golly, um, it's just one of those things, you know, where she keeps writing midnight, this super duper. I hate, I mean, you I thought he was just treating her like a little sister, like he was just pushing her off. But it turns out that he just hates stupid, stupid women. And he tells her, you're a stupid bitch because you like this. And when he asks her what she likes, she's like, I like to read. Or no, she doesn't say I like to read. I'm sorry. That would never fucking come out of Winter's mouth. She likes to shop, dress, get high, go out. The next one would have probably been fuck. Oh my God. So... In the last chapter, uh, Aunt B did her 
dirty, I guess, but she didn't really do her dirty. What happened is that Winter uh, fucked Will or was going to fuck Will, but he she was also trying to fuck with Will in a business-like sense. Like, she wanted to uh, try and get down with him from a business aspect, and he wanted her to get down with him from a uh, you're a cute girl on the block aspect. You should know your place. In reality, Winter really only wanted to fuck with Will because she saw him with uh, Natalie and was just jealous that Natalie was rocking $3,000 clothes that he had bought for her and stuff like that. She wanted what Natalie had. Like, she didn't even look to see if he was cute. There was a point in the last chapter where she was like, I was trying to see if he was, if I didn't remember if he was attractive. I was trying to see his face while we were at the drive-in, but, you know, off the reflection of red and blue lights from the theater screen, but I couldn't see anything. She doesn't know. She's just like, I want what my friends have because they shouldn't have anything better than me. My friend shouldn't have anything that I don't have because I have everything because my dad was the kingpin of the area. Her dad is in jail. Uh, they find out that um, he's got another family, a whole ass family. Uh, but she thought that her mom was locking it down because of her sexuality. That ain't happened. And now her mom is a crackhead. Like that progressed really quickly, didn't it? Like, that was literally uh, G-Money from New Jack City quick and going from being an upstanding person to I'm just going to smoke crack. And I'm not saying that, that that people who are addicted to drugs weren't upstanding people. I apologize profusely for that coming out of my mouth. But it happened real fast that she went from, you know, this person to all of a sudden wearing her wigs lopsided and, and sitting in the lobby of her, her sister's building smoking crack. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. I would think that the drug dealers on the block wouldn't even want to sell Santiago's wife some rocks, but, you know, it, that's just me. Like, I wouldn't want to niggas get stabbed. Even though he's got two families, so he'd probably be like, which one did he sell rocks to? Did he sell them to my wife who doesn't have a name, or did he sell them to Dolce, the Puerto Rican girl? You notice that uh, Dolce is Puerto Rican and she gets a name, but Winter's mom is black and does not. Just putting that out there. So anyways, they go to a club or a concert hosted by Sister Soldier. Uh, Winter didn't know that or else she wouldn't have gone. And um, they find out that uh, Will is driving Natalie in his Range Rover. And so, uh, Winter's like, well, fuck it. We're going to go ahead and get a limo. And she just starts spending money. That, she's always spending money that she shouldn't be spending. Always. Like, it's not new. But she's doing it now. Um, and so, she is, um, she gets a limo. And her aunt sees it. And her aunt is like, I saw you got a fucking limo. And she was like, oh, I ain't got no money. And yeah, her aunt was like, but you got a fucking limo. And so her aunt fucking robs her. And then Natalie's mad at her because she was trying to fuck with Will while Natalie was in love with Will. And Natalie caught Will giving her uh, his telephone number. And so they're, you know, kids. And so Natalie fucking calls CPS on her. 
That's what Aunt B says. Aunt B says that Natalie called CPS on her. I'm like, it's a toss-up as to which one of y'all would have called CPS, but she does have a point. I wouldn't want CPS coming to my house if everything in my house is fucking illegal, too. So all the signs do point towards Natalie. So now we are at chapter 10, where uh, Winter is now uh, going to foster care or, or a group home, a group home. Yeah, that's it. If y'all are enjoying the show, please leave a review, uh, five stars, wherever you listen to the show at. Also, uh, you can leave a voicemail at 916-633-1537, or you can email us at wretchedandratchet at gmail.com. Chapter 10. The house of success was a group home for teenage girls aged 13 to 18. Don't ask me how or why they picked that name. As far as I was concerned, it was a joke like everything else. This building was set up like a house. Somehow, somebody thought they would take a whole bunch of anonymous females, put them in a building set up like a house, and have them pretend they were like family. There were four girls in each big room. There were about ten big rooms. There were two kitchens and one big-ass living room that doubled as a recreation room. There were offices where the people in charge did whatever they were pretending to do. Across from the offices were a set of small rooms that some counselors and personnel slept in when they did the overnight shift. This was minimum security, where a girl had to follow certain rules and would somehow be rewarded with little freedoms. As Miss Griswaldi put it, For the next 30 days, you'll be evaluated. If you're not deemed to be violent or suffering from a learning disorder or illness, you'll be treated like a young adult with adult responsibilities. So the deal was I had to be on lockup, meaning I couldn't leave or come and go as I pleased. I had to stay in the facility for 30 days while they decided if I was ready for the world. I wasn't scared. Santiago raised me to be strong. I'll admit I had all those fucked up scenes in my head from the movies, like some squad of butch women dragging me out of my bed, fucking me up in the bathroom, and shoving a broomstick up my pussy. But I would fight anybody I had to before I let them get me down. They'd have to kill me before I let some chicks eat my pussy or make me lick theirs. All that shit was dead. The house of success wasn't like the movies, though. In the room I was assigned to, I met all kinds. First, there was this girl from Haiti. The only thing I could say about her was that she was the greasiest person I ever saw. She had a dogged-out, uneven jerry curl with all the grease activator and gel that comes with it. She had the jerry curl grease colliding with the Vaseline on her face. She had greasy lotions for her hands and feet, and in general, always looked wet. Her name was Claudette. There was no worse nightmare than the clothes she wore. It looked like she picked a year from the past, let's say 1975, and decided all her clothes should be from that time. To make it worse, she just said, fuck the color scheme. I'll wear a purple shirt with green gauchos with a yellow hat with a big pink flower on and I'll top that shit off with some wooden platform open-toed shoes so I can show off my big maroon bunion. Needless to say, Claudette mostly stayed to herself. The only time I seen her chilling with the other girls in the house was when they chipped in and bought her a cheap Walkman for her birthday. She was ridiculously happy. They claimed the only reason they bought it was because Claudette played some fucked up old Christian radio station with gospel music and a loud, wacky preacher on the AM dial. They couldn't take hearing it no more, so they got her to radio with the headphones. Lachey 
Lachey was a trip. She was kind of chubby with a big, cute face. She was one of those girls who decided she didn't care if her body was a size 16 because she was still going to wear size 11 clothing. She had big hips, a big booty, and a waist that was small compared to the rest of her butt. You couldn't tell her she was fat, though. The way she figured it, if the hips are 48 inches and the waist 36 and the titties 40, that's a perfect hourglass shape. She wore halter tops when it obviously should have been a crime. She wore Daisy Duke shorts and shoes with laid-to-the-side heels that were begging for forgiveness with every step she took. Her thing was the boys, who, if you let her tell it, were all in love with her. She had damn near every issue of Word Up magazine with all her favorite pictures of rap stars glued to the wall in a raggedy collage. She was a show-off type. It was more like she was a comedian to me, because how are you going to show off in busted shoes and clothes you bought from some Indian at a candy stand in the train station? Rashida was into her own little world. She was pretty, but it didn't count. She never made it work for her. She wore her hair back in a ponytail all the time, every day. She had no flavor about cuts, wraps, twists, nothing, no style. She had a cute little figure, but kept it covered up like it was on punishment or something. She had the nerve to, in this day and time, wear dingy no-name kicks on her feet. You know the ones they sell in the supermarket for $4? She didn't decorate her side of the room at all. If you looked over there, it was plain, period. She was extra clean and tidy. All she did was read. She didn't even watch television unless it was a gloomy-ass news. Noni was the girl whose bed I got. She was transferred to another room. The girl said Noni smoked cigarettes like a smokestack, even though there was no smoking allowed. She had taken a roll of string, made a line in the curtain around her bed out of a sheet. It didn't matter, she said, because the smoke kept stinking up the room anyway. They said she had a nervous problem, was molested by her stepdad and beaten by her mother. Smoking made her feel good, and she would kick any ass who tried to take her cigarettes or report her. They said the counselors who did the overnight just let her keep smoking because it was easier to be Noni's friend than her enemy. As a consequence, other girls just followed her lead and lit up too. When one girl in the other room turned 18, she was released and had to go and make it on her own. When her bed got free, they put Noni in there because there are three more smokers in that room. I got her bed and ended up with Claudette, Lachey, and Rashida. My first week was crazy. They took me into the office with an interview with my newly assigned social worker. Her name was Kathy Johnson. As soon as I got in the room, I peeped her. She had her hair pulled back in a neat sweep. Her perm needed a serious touch-up. I could see she tried hard to lay the naps down with some gel that was turning white and flaking. She did her own nails, but believe me, she was a type who was too lazy to take off the old layer of polish, so she just piled the new layer on top of it so it didn't lay smooth on her nails. On her feet were some pleather knockoffs. The kind that when you flipped them over, had a stamp at the bottom that said man-made uppers. Her pantsuit was JCPenney's or Sears. Definitely polyester or rayon. Come in, Winter. Have a seat. She said, like I needed her help. She pushed the manila file open and flipped through some papers. I checked her left hand. No engagement ring, no wedding ring, nothing. On the wall, she had some kind of degree from Fordham University. Winter, where do you go to school? She asked. I used to go to Half Hollow High in Long Island. 
Then what happened? She asked. I sucked my teeth and said, What's the use in having all these papers in the folder about me if you're going to ask me what I already know? Okay, Winter. Did you drop out? Did you re-register at another school after Long Island? And how do you plan to finish your education? These are the type of things I need to find out from you. I gave her answers. Short ones. No sense in getting all involved when she was a walking, talking example of what education amounted to. What was I supposed to do? Struggle to be like her? Pay some big school big, big money so I can get a little job in some little place making an itty-bitty bit of cash? What do I get? To hang a stupid-ass degree up in my little office where I don't make enough dough to get a regular manicure, pedicure, or perm? I should be interviewing her, asking her what's her problem. She asked me about my sisters, who, for the most part, I had put out of my mind. She asked me about my mother and father and every nosy thing she could nose around in, at which time I gave her any answer that popped in my head. She asked me if I could read and write. I told her, of course, and I can talk too. After two hours, I was leaving her office. I asked, how do I get money in here? As she explained it, I got $60 a week. The institution got 800 per month per child. The $60 a week represented my spending money after the institution paid its expenses. What expenses? I asked. We take care of everything else you would need, Winter. We purchase the food, clothes, shelter, etc. You mean, you mean to tell me you bought all those clothes them girls is wearing? No, not exactly. There's a voucher system. Your social worker. That's me, she said proudly, will accompany you once every two months or three months to get what you need. You're going to help me shop? I repeated and laughed. Miss Johnson said, you know, if you don't follow the rules in here, you forfeit all your privileges. That includes nights out, weekend passes, and your weekly stipend. Stipend? I asked. Your money. You know, Winter, you're one of the older girls around here. Most of the 16 and 17 year old girls get after school jobs. You're not going to be here long. I suggest you focus on making specific plans for your future. I'm here to help you any way I can. After a box lunch, I saw the institutional psychiatrist. She was a nut. She asked me all kinds of questions about my mother and father. Did my father touch me? Did I ever want to have sex with him? Did my mother ever beat me? No matter how many times I told her ass no, she would put the question another way, but would still be asking me the same shit. She asked me dumb things like, how did I feel when they took my sisters away? She might as well have asked me, is a burning building hot? She asked me about my relationship with my friends and men. I looked at her like, lady, do you really think me and your old ass are going to sit here and have girl talk? To entertain myself, I started making things up. I break out in a rational I'm in a room with more than two people. I'm a virgin and I would like to be one till I'm 30. I masturbate to the sound of the washing machine. I was cracking myself up. She was sitting there with a long yellow pad actually trying to come up with an explanation for all the gobbledygook I was giving her. More tests. Reading and math. If they found out anything, it's that I could read, write, and count. As Santiago would say, everything else is just extra unnecessary. 
I met with a birth control lady who really wanted to get personal. I wouldn't tell her nothing, but I did take sample foam sponges and those free condoms, even though there were no men in the house. I figured when they loosened up on me, I could have them just in case. At night, most of the girls were gone. They got evening passes, which allowed you to leave until 11 p.m. Some had jobs to go to. Others had free time. If you came in after 11 p.m. and missed curfew, you forfeited your passes for the rest of the week. If you were late three times in 30 days, you permanently lost your evening opportunities. I was stuck inside with the girls on punishment, the newcomers who had to be evaluated like me, and the uniformed ladies who guarded the door, registering girls in and out. Laying on my bed, I put together a list of things I needed. Top of my list was a lock. I needed a lot before somebody tried to pull one of Aunt B's capers and tried to list on my clothes. I had already decided that if anybody put their hands on my stuff, we'd go heads up. After I got my list together, I sat and thought. The challenge for me now would be making something out of nothing. How to make money when I had no money to start with. Then I was hit by a brilliant idea. I jumped up from my cot and walked into the bedroom across the hall. Nani, let me borrow a dollar. I need to make a couple calls. When am I going to get it back? Friday. All right. I'll lend you one dollar. One time. If Friday comes and I don't see you or my dollar, your credit is dead and don't ask me for shit no more. Cool, I responded. Got four quarters and waited on this chick, Ginger, to get off the payphone. Simone, what's up, girl? I got a deal for you. You got any money? Yeah, I got a little something. Heard you was in some trouble. Nah, I ain't in no trouble. At least nothing I can't handle. Listen, I got a list of shit I want you to pick up for me. It'll run you about 200 Simone laughed. <laughs> it ain't gonna cost me nothing. All the better, I said. I read the list, told her to pack everything in a box. I'll call you back Friday morning. You'll meet my girl. Give the box to her, and I'll pay you for the stuff on Sunday night. I figured there were 40 girls in here, including me. Every one of us had $60 a week, at least. Some had jobs. That meant altogether the girls in the house of success took in a minimum of $2,400 per week. There was no way I was going to be standing around in some polyester McDonald's suit saying, May I help you, sir? Would you like a Coke with your fries? I would set up shopping here and provide everything with what they needed. I would even help them to understand what they needed. I was locked in for three more weeks. That was three Fridays, which meant at best there was a maximum intake of 7200 All I need is 5000 for myself. When I got my evening privileges, I'd invest my money in the streets, triple it at least, and get my own place, loot, and life. I might as well have Simone for a partner because she understood business and wasn't a gossip like Natalie. She was going to have a baby soon and would need my help as well. We get paid together. I spent every day up until Friday getting to know the girls in the house. It wasn't hard. Every day I'd get up, do my hair in a different fly style, and rock my clothes like I was going out on a real special date. Only thing was, I really wasn't going anywhere and everybody knew it. The girls watched me and asked me how I did my hair in a certain style. How I manicured my own hands pedicure my own toes, and where I got my clothes and shoes from. I gave them answers. 
After a while, they started asking questions about me, who I am, and my background. Eventually, they started telling me about their lives. They liked my stories better, though, because theirs were mostly hard luck stories. I told them about the big birthday party Santiago gave me on my fifth birthday. It was in the ballroom at a local hotel. Santiago filled the room up with 500 balloons, 100 for every year I had been alive. All the little kids from the block came. I got my first party dress, the kind you wouldn't want to be caught dead in when you're 13, but are delighted with when you're five. I had Gucci patent leather loafers and white lace stockings. We took family photos together and Santiago gave me a charm bracelet with a 24 karat gold elephant. Every year until I was 12, he gave me a new gold animal. When I turned 13, I turned the charm bracelet into a necklace. I didn't wear it because by then I had much better stuff, but I treasured it. Of course they asked me where all my stuff was and I lied and told them it was in storage until my parents worked out their situation. I found out which girls had jobs and which didn't, who had extra money and what kind of taste they had. All the while I was talking, my mind was organizing what kind of stuff I could sell, what type of services I could perform, what type of prices I could charge, and how much I could expect to accumulate over the first couple weeks. Friday, when Lachey was leaving on a weekend pass, I told her to meet Simone in the local pizza shop to pick up the box she was delivering to me. First thing I did was pull out my lock and chain for the suitcase that I had been guarding with my life since my survival. I put all my new stuff inside and locked and chained it up. I organized the magazines I had asked for on my desk and then officially opened up shop. My first customer, the person I volunteered to be my best customer, was Claudette. I figured if I could fix her up and make her pay for it, she'd be a good example of what my work was worth. I also found out that Claudette never spent her money. She was 17 years old, worked on weekdays, and sent $150 a month to that wacky preacher she listened to. She stashed the rest. Claudette, you got a boyfriend? No, she said shyly. Oh, I guess you can't have a boyfriend because you're a Christian. No, I can have a boyfriend. There's just some things we can do and, and some things we can't. So what happens, I asked her. You meet a nice guy and he finds out you ain't going to give him nuts so he breaks out. No, we don't even get that far. I like a guy. He doesn't like me. That's it. I know what you need. What do I need, Winter? I'm sure that you know. You seem to know so much. If I show you what you need and give you what you need, it's going to cost you. Oh, no, she said. I don't want to spend any money. But after I hook you up, you'll meet any man you want to get. Your whole life will change. You give money to your preacher, right? Oh, yes, but this is different. But he doesn't do anything for you. You don't know that. He makes me feel good, better every day. But I can make you feel better than he can, and once I show you, you can do it for yourself. All right, let's make a deal. I'll fix you up. If you like what you see, you pay me. If you don't, you don't owe me nothing. I handed her a stack of magazines, told her to flip through and tell me what she wanted to look like. I talked Claudette's ear off, got her hyped up on change. When I had her settling in the chair ready for a new cut, I could have cried with laughter. The only thing I knew about cutting hair was what a good haircut was supposed to look like when it was done and whatever I peeped from Earlene. 
What made me calm, though, was there was no way for me to fuck up Claudette's hair any more than there already was. So I started cutting until she was damn near bald. The way I figured it, she needed to start all over again. I gave her finger waves. If I say so myself, it looked fly. I gave her a facial, unclogged all the Vaseline in that cheap $1 drugstore makeup she wore. I busted out my nail kit, gave her tips, a French manicure and pedicure. I made her take off that red skirt with tube socks and sandals and told her that because I liked her, I would let her take a quick look in my suitcase. I unlocked and unchained it carefully to make her fully understand that she was about to enjoy a special privilege. From now on, I told her, she could order her clothes from me. Let's just take it slow, I told her. She selected one of my designer dresses. When she glanced in the mirror, she saw the French manicure, finger waves, natural facial quality MAC lipstick, and the Donna Karen dress, and she smiled at herself. Turned to the left side, right side, front and back. From what I could tell, she was stuck in a state of shock. Now try these on, I said. I took my shoes out of the shoebox I kept and packed in. They were one size too small for her, but she got the concept. Now Claudette, I said, holding her face in between my hands, making her look me dead in the eye. I have to take my shoes and my dress back, but look at yourself and know that you can look like this if you let me help you. Your life will change. How much? Claudette asked. For the face, nails, hair, and feet? Yeah, and the dress. Oh, you you can't afford this dress. It's mine. But I can show you something just as nice. I'll show you my catalog later tonight. You pick and pay and we'll be in business. How do you know I can't afford the dress? Claudette asked with a funny accent. Even if you could, which I doubt, you can't have it. It's a designer exclusive. I lied just to gas her up. They only made a few of these. But you can get something almost as nice. Let me work on finding the right thing for you. I charged her $60. She paid me. I watched as she got an extra switch in her walk. For another 60 I convinced her to buy a pair of jeans and a blouse. Shit I got from the Banana Republic. I talked to her about toning down her colors. All in all, I made a permanent customer. That was week two in the house of success and already had $120 plus my $60 stipend. Once Claudette spread the word, not through talking because she was kind of shy, but just by being different from the fresh off the boat girl she used to be, I was going to rake in the dough. Things took off quickly. I had what everybody needed at better price than they could get it themselves. Everybody was happy. I organized all the fashion from the magazine into a catalog, put numbers on the items and the whole shit. I let the people in the house order their clothes from me. I let Simone boost them and sell them to me for a small price. I resold them to the girls at less than half what the store would charge. Lachey was my unsuspecting runner, which put money in her pocket. She got to meet Simone, pick up the stuff for me, deliver it to me, and drop off whatever I wanted. I had cut-rate cartons of cigarettes for Noni, wholesale candy for Lachey, clothes, hairdo, fingernails, pedicures, and fashion tips for whoever needed. I had beer and joints at the right time on the down-down low. Depending on what was going on with Simone, I had things as big as cellular phones and CD players available. At the end of 21 days, I had $2,500 in my pocket and I had never left my room.
Kathy Johnson, my social worker, recommended I finish school. I disagreed and told her to make arrangements for me to drop out. To keep things cool, I agreed to take my GED exam so I could get that bullshit equivalency. I even agreed to look for a job, which I wasn't really going to do. The other girls in the house put me up on the scam. All I had to do was fill out a form weekly saying I looked for a job and where I looked for the job. I could get real company names and addresses from the want ads, complete the form, turn it in, and qualify as having looked for work. Work that, as far as I was concerned, I would never find because I already had a more profitable hustle going. Miss Johnson threatened to sign me up for all kind of technical and business schools like I would want to be some kind of refrigerator repairman or some crazy shit like that. The psychiatrist recommended me to attend weekly psychiatric sessions, label me some kind of sociopath or something like that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, this is me. I'm laughing because she is a sociopath. We'll get to that in a bit. Labeled me some kind of sociopath or something like that because I told her all those kooky stories that she was educated enough, or should I say dumb enough, to believe. She recommended that once I got my privileges, I should go visit my little sister and the whole family go to counseling. I had a better plan. I believe you see people when you have something to say and something to offer, and I was still working on it. What was the sense in seeing my sisters when I couldn't do shit for them? They start talking about they want to come with me. What would I do then? Move them from one shelter to another shelter for teenage girls? People always seem to have stupid suggestions. On my first free day, I hooked up with Simone. We had talked regularly on the phone, but only about business because time was limited. There was only one phone on my floor and everybody wanted to use it. No sense in hogging the phone and pissing off my customers. Simone seemed real happy to see me. We met at a pizza spot. She updated me on Brooklyn, said Natalie and Will were still together. Natalie hated me and had told all my personal business to everyone. My mom's had sunk to an all-time low and had been seen wearing a full-body catsuit. You know, the tight $2 leggings with the bodysuit attached with no panties underneath. Her hair was still bald, her face was still twisted, and body was still on crack. Of course, Simone didn't word it that way, but let's cut through the bullshit. I'm smart. Word on the street was that Santiago ain't never getting out. Aunt B was screwing for money. My whole family had individual hustles going on, and in general, shit was tight. On the side, Simone added that she had fixed up the room in her apartment for the baby. She had a new crib, blankets, toys, the works, and everything was pink. I told her that was dumb, because what if the baby was a boy? She had a sonogram, she said, and she was sure it was a girl, so everything was in perfect order. She said she was seven months pregnant now and getting tired all the time. She wanted me to know that she had put some money aside for the baby and she would need to slow down for the eighth and ninth month. Now I was no dummy, so I caught the signal. My plans had to kick in as soon as possible. If she was going to slow down, that would affect the chain of cash flow we had going. Let's face it, she was a booster. I wasn't. She had the know-how and the connect. I didn't. To tell the truth, I wasn't even interested in being the booster, as long as I could make what Simone was already deep into work for me. Simone, I want to make an investment. What kind of investment? Crack. That ain't my area, Winter. You know that. You know I have a weed connect, but it's out in Brooklyn back around the way. No, fuck that. I need a closer connect up here. Weed is cool, but crack is better money. Once them base heads get going, they completely loyal customers. 
I need to at least triple my money so I can make moves. I got a guy I could talk to, a cousin uptown. He's real tight with his shit, though. He might not even have a conversation with me. He be acting like he don't be doing what he be doing when everybody know what he be doing. Winter, I don't know about getting into that shit. When you get caught, you do time. Hard time. She hesitated, lowered her eyes. Look what happened to your father. Right, I thought. That's who I should be talking to. My father. And no matter what Simone said, my father got at least 20 years of good high living out of this business. Nobody could argue with that. That's power. To be able to set up your own empire in your neighborhood, or even somebody else's neighborhood in that matter. To buy cars, jeeps, and trucks. To sport the flyest shit made by top designers every day. To be able to buy property, mansions, and still have apartments on the side. To be able to shit on people before they got a chance to shit on you. That's power. Who could argue with that? A regular nigga worked all week for change to get to work, plus a beard to forget about how hard he worked. My pops was a major player for a long time. With the benefit of his knowledge, I could make the world kiss my ass, but better than he did because he could teach me about the mistakes. Let's compare it. 10 years of good living and 20 years of high living versus 60 years of scraping to get by. Enough said. I told Simone, listen, work on that connect for me. Try and set me up a meeting. Here's a list of what I need for the house. Let's meet here Friday night at 9. I'll pick it up. What about Lachey? Simone asked. Who? I responded, my mind drifting to Santiago. Oh, I don't need her anymore. I can get my evening passes now. I could be out till 11 p.m. So what's she gonna do? Whatever she was doing before I got there. I gave Simone a hug and broke out. On the bus ride to the jail, I organized a clever way to key Santiago into what I was saying without exposing my hand to guard the phone surveillance. As Santiago had taught me, hold your cards close to your chest. Also, I wouldn't bring up the Dulce issue because that might cause him or even me to get mad and then I might end up leaving the jail without the information I needed. I would say yes, I saw Portia, Mercedes, and Lexi. How are they doing? Fine. Getting big, growing up, and going to school. What could I say about Mama? Well, it was unusual, but I didn't have an answer up until the time I arrived at Rikers, went through the checks and searches, and the whole process. I still had no answer up until the time for me to sign in the book. I sat nervously, biting my lip about Mama, a woman who, despite everything, I know Daddy loves so much. The guard said, have a seat. I preferred to stand. Somehow I thought I could think better standing up, so I went to the corner of the room and paced back and forth, back and forth. When the guard returned, he said, I'm sorry, Miss Santiago. Ricky Santiago doesn't want to see anybody today. What? What? Did you tell him it was me? Did you tell him it was his daughter, Winter Santiago? Yes, I did. I gave him the same name you gave me. What do you mean he doesn't want to see me? What did he say? How did he say it? He didn't say anything. I told him you were here, and he shook his head no. He doesn't have to come out. A prisoner has the right to refuse a visit. Tears welled up and splashed out of my eyes. The guard said, Listen, if you write your name and address on a piece of paper, I can give it to him. Maybe he'll write. 
As I jotted down my name, address, and phone number, I put on the bottom of the ripped piece of paper, Daddy, please call me right away. I need you badly. Winter. At the house of success, everybody asked me what was wrong. I looked at their faces and thought to myself, You're not in my damn family. Don't try and act like you are. I shut them out and didn't respond. I went to my bed, took off my shoes, and balled up under the cover of my clothes and slept. I slept through the rest of the afternoon, evening, and the night. I slept through the next morning, the next afternoon, and the next evening again. Girls came and went. Can I buy a stogie? Do you have any more perm cream? What time can I get my hair done? Where'd you put the catalog? My response was nothing. On the third bedridden morning, Miss Johnson, the social worker, came. If there's a problem, Winter, we can talk about it. We can work it out. I just stared at her face, then rolled over and balled up again. By noontime, a psychiatrist came and insisted I needed a session. Pent-up aggression wouldn't solve anything, she said. I had better eat some food or at least drink some water. I said nothing. By one o'clock, security came. By one o'clock, security came, poked me with a nightstick, and told me I had to get dressed and go to the psychiatric office immediately. The rock-faced lady man with the big arms made it clear that if I didn't move my ass, she would move me. I got up and went through the motions preparing to go. Rashida was seated on her bed. She watched me with tears in her eyes. As the guard waited outside the door, Rashida came to me and said, All right, Winter, you don't have to say anything. I can understand it, but whatever happened to you, I've been there before. It's a real bad place to be, but I've been there. It almost makes you wonder if being dead isn't better. But let me just say this. Once I took a bottle of pills because I wanted to die. I figured if I died, no more pain, right? Wrong, she said, answering herself. I ended up on the operating table with the doctors pumping my stomach. A lot of pain. When I got better, there was still pain. So I tried it again. I slashed my wrist with a knife. I figured, surefire way to die, right? And when I die, no more pain, right? Wrong. When I woke up, I was in a hospital room with tubes everywhere and stitches in my wrist. When the anesthesia wore off, there was pain for weeks later. I still had a cast, painkillers, and pain. As soon as the pills wore off, there was more pain. Even when I got better, there was pain. Pain's a part of life. That's my point. Pain is a part of life. When it's your time to go, you go. If it's not your time, you don't go. Until then, make the best of it. If you find God and the good in yourself, you can take most of the pain away. And then the few times you do good pain, you could just surrender to Allah and the pain will go away. I, I couldn't connect to what she was saying. The security yelled in and said, Come on, Santiago, the doctor's waiting. I got up. Rashida said, Listen, tonight I'm going to see Sister Soldier speak. She's a real beautiful sister who has helped me to understand myself a little bit more and get it together. If you want to come, I'll take you. My treat. Your treat? It costs money? What the hell are you giving her money for? My face was vexed and Rashida was intimidated by my sudden change in instant anger. I could see if you was going to see a show, I said. Then at least you get what you paid for. You're going to listen to somebody talk shit. 
Soldier gets paid. You get nothing, stupid ass. Rashida looked shocked at the dramatic change in my personality. I guess I am a stupid ass for trying to help you, Rashida exclaimed. As she left the room, probably just to get away from me, I shouted, Do me a favor! Oh, now you need a favor. Ask Sister Soldier she knows somebody named Midnight. My session with the psychiatrist revived me. Not because of anything she did. Because of what I did and said. The story I told her just made me laugh inside and that helped me take away some of the depression I felt. I told her I had a best friend named Natalie and ever since childhood we had been connected. We were so connected that when I cried, she cried. And when she was sick, I was sick. When she was happy, I was happy. Even when we were separated, I could still feel Natalie's emotions and she could feel mine. Natalie had made one of her other friends angry by telling some of her personal business, so the girl beat Natalie unconscious. The reason I was stuck in bed for three days was because I was unconscious like Natalie. After the story, she asked me a thousand questions, all of which I answered. I can't repeat my answers because I made them up as I went along and forgot them just the same. That day, I decided I would think of everyone in my family as dead. This made everything easy. It would be me against the world. Simone would be important to me because she was my business connect. I had learned that there was no point in getting personal. It was just a waste of time. As Santiago would say, I mean, everybody knows, time is money, and money is time. Simone was on point as usual. She delivered my things, and I gave her the loot. What's wrong with you, Winter? She asked as though I was different than normal. Nothing. Just going over the numbers in my head. What's up with that connect? It's not going to happen. Forget it, Winter. He don't want to get mixed up with no trouble. He got vexed just for me mentioning his business. I told him I could trust you, that you were in for self, but he said that was hard to believe. Damn, I said, frustrated. Any other options? She asked. I got a couple ideas in my head. Let me work on them. All right, Simone. So what else is up? I'm debating on whether to go to the show tomorrow night or not. I laughed at her. Your belly kind of out there, I said, looking at her belly. No, crazy, that's not it. I figure if I'm going to go to the show, I ought to be able to stay awake. This sleeping shit is getting out of control. Who's performing? Wu-Tang? Let's do it. What you going to wear, she asked. Hey, Saks Fifth Avenue got this dusty pink suede suit with a matching jacket. Banging. Pick it up for me. I already got the shoes. I was trying to wait for you to get them, but there was only one pair left in my size, and I didn't want anybody else to buy them. If you can cop the dress and the jacket, I'll give you three fifty for it. That's a little more than half the price. You got it, Winter. Let's meet at your spot about nine. How we rolling? Limo, like usual, I said with a half smile. I ain't big timer. When I got back to the house, I apologized to everybody for bugging out the past few days. I told them my mother was hospitalized and very sick. It got me depressed because the doctor said she might not pull through. I saw her today and thank God she was going to be all right. They all accepted my apology. I gave them discounts on shit they needed for the weekend. After the discount, we was all cool again. None of these girls will hold a grudge because they all had their good days and bad days too. 
One by one, girls were leaving on weekend passes. I hung around because Friday night was a money night for me. If I had a good take, I would have a total of $2,800 saved. Rashida came in and threw shade on me. For business purposes, I immediately apologized to her. The truth of the matter is, Rashida was one of maybe two girls in the house of success who never bought anything from me. She didn't borrow money, didn't ask for shit. However, in business, I know that if a bad feeling spreads about the saleswoman or the product, it can infect others. So I was being scientific about it. Rashida accepted my apology, but not in a way that made me believe things were cool between us. She was cautious, but I rallied her back to a good position, find out something she liked, and provide it to her. On Saturday morning, I went out to the stores. There was really no need for me to shop anymore because Simone could get what I wanted. But nothing could replace the whole idea of the store along with the thrill of being there. I kept my finger on the fashion there by always being in and out of the top stores. This made Simone's job easy because I could tell her what I wanted, which store to lift from, down to the exact section and sometimes the exact rack. I like to keep up with cosmetics, although I didn't need anything besides a little lipstick. My skin was smooth. My eyelashes were already dark and long. Some of the girls I sold shit to had uneven skin. Some had blotches, and some straight up had scars, razor cuts they wanted to hide. My being up on the skin remedies, new cosmetic colors, styles and exclusive shit they could never have even known existed, meant they would have to keep coming back to me. I had packaged my advice, products, and style like a secret potion that they could only purchase from me. While I was out, I saw a cute pink suede hat that I wanted. It would go so perfect with the dress, jacket, and shoes. I was going to get Simone to pick it up for me, although I was tempted to buy it myself just in case. Sometimes Simone was slow to answer her beeps. You couldn't blame her because she was usually in the middle of picking something up. Later, I wandered into a pawn shop just to price what I could get from my diamond tennis bracelet, necklace, and earrings in an emergency situation. I found out the shop owners were not only thieves, but perverts who made it clear that they weren't above fucking me in the back room of the shop. $400 was what they offered me for a bracelet that cost my father a few thousand. The only good thing was if I got desperate and needed the money, I could pick up the $400 and buy the jewels back later. I saw a fat nail design in this Chinese lady shop, so I went in and got my nails redone. She was overcharging. When I asked her the price, she could tell from the look in my eyes that she was about $50 over the normal nail design fee. But she was smart. I'd never seen the same nail design she was pushing anywhere else, so I told myself, hey, she's a businesswoman, I'm a businesswoman. Motherfuckers gotta respect that. I got a fly design and easily calculated a way to pass this personal expense on to my loyal customers at the house. Sociopath. A person with a personality disorder manifesting itself in extreme antisocial attitudes and behavior and a lack of conscience. Here's the thing. Winter. Winter thinks she's doing something by telling all these lies to uh, the psychiatrist and entertaining herself. But she literally acts like a sociopath she has not cared about anybody else's um desires wishes dreams hopes or anything throughout this entire book and it's really interesting that this chapter 
seems to be such a pointed mirror or, or pointed, uh, seems to be such a pointed uh, vision at Winter's ideals. Um, Sister Soldier has once again placed herself in this book, not just as Sister Soldier, but also as Rashida. Um, Sister Soldier's like, as I said before, the, the sincere of belly in this book. Um, and so Rashida is Sister Soldier in that she uh, was pretty, but it didn't count. You know, she she never made it work for her. She didn't want anything out of her. She didn't use her body as a weapon or she didn't use sex to get what she wanted. And she, you know, wore shoes that didn't have, you know, names on it, no-name shoes and no-name clothes. And she was smart. And hell, lo and behold, it turns out she's a sister soldier fan. Like, come on now. I mean, I'm not going to say that the the message that uh, Rashida gave Winter at the end of the chapter wasn't deep because it was. I mean, from a person who has depression, anxiety, has had ideations a whole nine yards, I feel that. I feel that strongly. But really, Sister Soldier, like, this isn't heavy-handed to you. Like, nobody read this and was like, yo, you're doing a bit much with this. Like, the preaching. Like, the, you know that they know that you're talking about yourself, right? It's like the devil and the angel talking to each other and shit. Also, Winter's got a really good business right here in front of her. Um, with the whole clothing and makeup and all that kind of stuff. She's pulling in good money. And she could actually take this money... And set up a shop for herself. And get known. Like there's people who do that right. Like they they buy clothes for people. And they, they do the makeup. And they're like advisors and all that kind of stuff. She could really go places with this. But she doesn't want to. She wants to go to the crack game. Everybody's like why the fuck do you want to go to the crack game. Simone's like why do you want to go to the crack game. If you want to do anything sell weed. Weed isn't as dangerous. But why do you want to sell crack. And it's because my dad sold crack. And that was a part that was the part that really just, that whole scene just irritated me. She's telling Simone that she wants to go out and buy crack, and Simone is like, yo, when you get caught doing selling crack, you do time, hard time. Look at what happened to your father. Like, that's some real shit. Look what happened to your dad. Everybody else is out here looking at this, living their life, and Simone ain't, the, ain't supposed to be the smartest girl in the clique. I mean, they do have a part in the earlier chapter where she's talking about, um, I would never treat my, I got to get home and, and I can't fight with you. Uh, I can't help you in this fight because I don't want to hurt my baby. And then they went home and drank alcohol. So, but at the same time, she's on point with this. Look what happened to your father. She's on point with this because sister soldier is trying to send another message. Um, and instead of hearing the message, Winter's like, you know what? You're right. That is who I need to be talking to. My dad. Because my dad lived the high life for 20 years before he got locked up. 20 years is a long time. And I will admit, 20 years was a long time to me when I was like 16 and 17. 20 years did seem like forever. 40-year-olds seemed old. Uh, 50 was over the hill. All that kind of stuff. But 20 years. And then you go to jail for the rest of your life. 
like Santiago, according to everybody, is never getting out. And you're still sitting there. You heard Simone tell you that before she told you that you shouldn't want to sell crack because your daddy just didn't look what happened to him. And you're like, 20 years is a good amount of time. 20 years is a good amount of time. If I get to live the high life for those 20 years, I don't care about my actual life. I just want to be rich. I just want to live the high life. I don't care about anything but being rich. And she literally says that. That's power. To be able to set up your own empire in your neighborhood or even somebody else's neighborhood for that matter. To buy cars, Jeeps, and trucks. To sport the fly shit made by top designers to have every day. Like, this is all she cares about. She don't care about what's safe. She's not trying to do anything for her family. She literally said later on that she decided that she was going to make believe that her family was dead. Tell me she's not a sociopath. She's going to make believe her family was dead because that's easier for her than thinking about them. This whole thing was hard. Like, and then the point where she's like, she has this girl Lachey being a runner for her to go get the products that she's getting for Simone for her actual well-working business. As soon as she gets her weekend passes, she's like, yo, I'm going to just meet you. And Simone's like, what about Lachey? And Winter's like, she going to go back to doing whatever she was doing before I got here. Which is cutting Lachey out of some money. But, you know, uh, this whole chapter, like, it's heavy-handed. And showing you that this is where she could be going. This is literally the future she could have. This is a business. This is the industry. And she's good at it. The way that they describe Claudette before she fixed her up, she's good at it. But she only wants to do this so then she can get back to the street. She's going to take this money and literally, she said, I'm going to invest it in the streets. Nigga, what would you do if I gave you $5,000? I'd stock market. You know, that's what the new thing is right now. Stock market. Everybody talking about that. Um, what you going to do if you get $5,000? I'm going to put it in the bank, I guess. You know, I don't know. Save it. What you going to do if you get $5,000? I'm going to pay bills with some of it and buy some stuff from me with the rest of it. What would you do if I gave you $5,000? Nigga, I'm invested in the streets. Them streets is where I live at, son. This is everything for me, son. That's winter. She has money. She's making good money. Safe money. I mean, honestly, it's not safe for you know everybody. Like, Simone is out there boosting this shit. And what the fuck she gonna do with Simone once Simone has a baby? Like, the only way Simone was getting away with boosting this shit, right, was because she was pregnant? And she was putting stuff on the pregnant, ba on the pregnant belly because nobody was checking how big she was because she was pregnant, right? Like, that was the thing? <sighs> this chapter was tough for me. Like, it wasn't tough. It was just interesting to see it. Like I said, after I watched that 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 review and, and saw all the things that they said about Sister Soldier and the way that she felt about stuff, and I'm going to uh, put the link to it in the show notes for this episode. This was just like, oh, okay. Is, is, that's what we're doing now, huh? That's how you feeling? Um, and yeah, of course it turns out that Rashida watches are, are like sister soldier and that just changes, um, winter's entire frame of her. Also, uh, Ricky ain't trying to see winter no more, I guess. Like she went to visit him and he was like, I'm not taking visitors. 
Like, yo, that's a cold game. I wonder if he got beat up. I hope he got beat up. He deserves to get beat up. I don't know why. He just pisses me off. Good job, soldier. <laughs> Yo, if y'all have any thoughts, please talk to me. This isn't just a one-way street. Uh, the voicemail number is 916-633-1537. Um, email address is wretchedandratchet at gmail.com. You can leave a review wherever you listen to the podcast at. Uh, we are on Twitter at Ratchet Book Club. Uh, hit me up there. I'll talk back. Shout out to everybody who's checking out the show. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. Um, Y'all be good. I'll holler at you next time. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know by now that you